It's Tempo Waffle Time! Right, welcome to Tempo Waffle. With Troy and Steve. Alright, so the the topic I want to waffle about is uh, actually a much better topic for Steve than Troy, who's the topic waffler e Wafflerus? Wafflerite. Wafflerite. Mm. Yeah, right. Mm. Okay, so um, uh, let's say historically, uh, I have a stance on uh, research and the usefulness or lack thereof of research in a practical sense. For teachers. Uh, for teachers, yes. Okay. Um, which you're quite familiar with because we've had this debate plenty of times, mm-hmm. um, which is it's not. It's not useful. It's not useful. Okay. Um, you, on the other hand, don't don't necessarily have that stance. Well, there's there's a couple of ways in which we can look at research. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, I would say the most obvious way in which research is going to be useful to practitioners, classroom teachers, is yeah. is through action research. Okay. So you do the research, and it's useful to you. I do the research on myself and it's useful to me. No, not necessarily. Uh, because part yeah, of the this action is where I have the problem. Yeah, part of the action research cycle is sharing and, and dissemination. And that's where I had the problem. Um, so who do you share it with? Well, ideally with the broader community. And but it doesn't in have practice, to be. who do you in, share it with? In practice, it, it might just be with your your teaching team at your school. So it could be and the other teachers. Really? I think in practice it's your thesis supervisor or the one guy who works at that other school who you've known for 17 years who's interested in that stuff. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the, the thing is, okay, so I've got a difficult class. I've got a, I've got a question about handling those three students who are disrupting yeah. this. The, I, I think of three ways of handling it. I implement all three and I compare them. Um, track it and analyze my data and at the end I say to everybody you know what the, those three students what I did is I compared this way and that way and this way um, okay it's very informal dissemination but those are the people for whom those three students might also be yeah, problematic okay which um, which actually sounds pretty good so then we can have a conclusion that research is useful because it's a it's a good way of problem solving because I experiment a lot in my classes but that's all I'm doing and sometimes it it's I do it in a more research based I'm going to try out three different things and see which one works yeah but of course it's three specific things with three specific classes by one specific teacher yeah and at the end of the day it's helping me right for um for in the in the action research side this this theoretical action research approach, um, you do need to be in a fairly professional environment where teachers are, Okay. maybe all the teachers are doing some sort of action research, and then there's a mutual exchange of, of um, findings. If you're in a school where people are just coming to school to fund some other activity after after school, then um, maybe they're, gonna, they're just going to uh, think that you're being a class nerd and, and okay so um, <laughs> at the moment how many working teachers would you say that you know how many working teachers would oh, yeah I'm waiting <laughs> for that that reaction um, uh, right at the moment 200 200 and of those 200 teachers how many of them are working in uh, in the kind of environment that 
people not only do this but share this and there there is a community doing this uh, none none okay yes. all right so we've uh, worked out that it's useless <laughs> well uh yes okay all <laughs> right good stuff well, <clears throat> i mean i say yes with with some caveats uh the fact that that it's not no it's not normally happening i think with my teachers it's just because they're teaching some of them are teaching six seven hours a day okay um, and well, eight hours a day of teaching well that's a lot for me and i then i do at the moment well I think I'm yeah, doing 30. I mean, the, the, it's a it's not ideal no, by it's... any stretch of the imagination it's it's really not not the way it should be um, but I think at the international schools here in, in Thailand, some of the teachers are probably encouraged to do action research. And, um, really? and in that kind of environment, I would say, yes, there is some sort of sharing. And um, I'm in my, I think in my whole career, I've met maybe four international school teachers who I would even consider to be actual teachers. And every other one of them, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm painting a very broad generalization here. Um, but... Look, so many of them are, oh, so, oh, if you ask a why question, or a how, or how did you end up at that school, or mm. why are you working there, their answer is normally, oh, you know, I, I was working in Kansas, and, uh, uh, you know, I got sick of the bureaucracy there, and I heard about this thing where I could come to Thailand, and, and the pay was quite good, and the cost of living is so much cheaper, and uh, I get a... Uh, pre-weekly shopping trip and an annual ticket home. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do admit that um, the action research is a, is a, a niche. Sounds, sounds, very, sounds very good. But most teachers are very busy. And okay. in addition to teaching load, there's admin loads and there's testing and there's evaluation yep. and there's parents' meetings and there's all sorts of stuff, which is very difficult to get your head out of into a research space if you, if you are under a lot of pressure. You've got to be class... The, the last action research piece that I did was um, I, I was substituting yeah. and I had all these lesson plans that were given to me. And as a, as a teacher, I was interested in what I was doing to other people's lesson plans to make them work for myself. Okay. Um, um, now, this kind of brings me to the next part. So how did you do this piece of research? Right. So, so I... Took their lesson plans. Yeah, and then during the class, I every time I went off pl- off the plan, yeah, I I made a little note of it, and I made a note of what I did instead. Okay. So I I did that for a week, so twenty substitute lessons. Okay. In different classes, which was actually really hard because I didn't know the students and I was struggling with classroom management and and it was a, you know the there were lots of things going on. So to scribble down notes while I was doing all that was actually quite quite. Demanding. So I took all that data and I calculated, I had a look at what kind of, I tried to make categories of the types of changes I was making and and did I disseminate it? No, I didn't. Okay, so that's <laughs> the, the next part. Is. So fine, you've done this research which is useful to you and only to you, but we know... Well, it wasn't actually that useful to me either because I... I um, it was interesting to see what I'd done. And okay, interesting yeah, to you then. And whose lesson plans were more prone to me adapting than, than you know. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, it was interesting. I don't think it was necessarily useful. All right. So when we think about research, though, most of us wouldn't think about action research purely in terms of me in the classroom. We'd think about it as published research. 
as yeah, academic okay. papers and and things like that. So that's the second. That's the second question. The second part of this question. Yeah, is this the stuff that we read? Is it useful or not? And I want to go back to the why question. Why are these people doing that research? Yeah. Uh, so this is actually a really big debate in in the field. Yeah. Um, the question is: Does research inform teachers' practice, or are what teachers doing in the classroom informing research? Or are they divorced? Is the other argument? Are they? Oh God! I hope not. Completely. Well, I think there's a strong argument there because if we ask why, why? Okay, we pick a random paper. Grab me a random paper. A random paper. Here we go. Right. This random paper is by. By Jaxie Richards. Okay, Jaxie Richards. Uh, yeah, wow, that was a pretty, good, that was a pretty good random that's pick. That's not gonna work. Okay, let's let's do this. The conflict between experience and professional learning. Uh, it's a it's an analysis of teachers' beliefs and their practices by Gleason and Davison that was published in Singapore in two thousand and sixteen. Okay, so if this uh, random piece of paper here, I, I've not read it. Uh, you told me the title. Uh, I'm terrible with names, so I don't recognise either of those people. Jaxie Richards, I do, but that was a fluke. Okay. Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess. Yeah. Um, this paper was written to present at a conference. Um, doesn't look like it. It's okay, right. Another <laughs> guess. All right. This paper um, was written by somebody who's working in a university and simply to be published. It's possible. The, the thing is that this paper is not going to be of any interest to teachers. Um, because it's uh, it's going to be might be interesting to teacher trainers. Okay. Because it's the I mean the general finding here is that teachers don't easily or readily accept professional learning outside of their current belief system and epistemology that they really hold. So their finding is if you try and train a teacher to do something that they're not ready to do, they're not going to do it. Okay. So that is actually quite interesting, and I think I that, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think I'm the exception, not the norm. <laughs> Uh, just because I think something is interesting. I mean, look, we're having a discussion about... But but this actually, this here. ties in, interestingly enough, this ties in with what we're talking about. They're arguing that, okay, they, they've divided this into two, two possibilities. You teach down to teachers or yeah. you practice up from teachers. So you find out what they're doing and then tweak it. Or you say to them, no, no, you can't... You can't do that. You have to do this. You're wrong. Right. So yeah. pra- education down is here's a theory implemented in your classroom. Go. Practice up means what is what are you doing in your classroom? Well, how about trying this as an alternative? Okay. Um, yep. So they're actually arguing in what you're saying. You can't just tell teachers that there's this theory in teaching. Go and do it. Uh, okay. All right, um, we didn't actually find out why they wrote the paper, though, which was my oh, question. Was, was so not maybe, probably not for a conference, possibly because they're working in a university and it's part of their job, they have to publish, or yeah. I would say the most common thing that's published apart from the I work in a university is the it's part of my thesis degree study, yada. It, it's okay. just part of their education. Um. I have to admit, for myself, that sitting down to write a paper is is a big thing. Uh, of course, if it I is. Yeah, if I didn't have the, please, can you publish at least three papers this year? I probably would sit at my desk and read all the journals that I have, and actually not write anything. Um, okay. 
So the, the Would, requirement to, to publish is actually quite a nice external motivator. motivator. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we all write, though, and when we do publish, it's nice to see a paper with your name on it. I sure like to afford the person writing it, but then we're back to this, the active research is only useful to the researcher, <laughs> not to anyone else. <laughs> No, as a reader, I actually found that paper quite interesting. Okay, so I, one of my big issues with research, um, apart from the fact that a lot of it's just not very good, um, it's not that it's not very good, it's that the person writing it is obviously going, I have to write something. And so they go out and they look for a thing to write, um, and they hunt around and they find a thing, and then they have to write that thing and justify that they've written it. But that's kind of backwards. Uh, they're, they're writing it to be written and then expecting that thing that comes out of it to be useful rather well, than looking okay. for a need. Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying. And I suppose one hopes that the peer, pro- the peer review process in, in the good journals will eliminate <laughs> those kind of... So I think if, you, if you're just downloading stuff off the internet, you're going to land up with the, I don't know, the name a random third world country apostrophe S, International Journal of Applied Linguistics. So okay, you're going to have sure. the Zimbabwean Applied Linguistics Journal of... And then, yeah, I mean, those are, that's probably run by a university in order to allow for publication of, of their internal research. And and sometimes they're good. Um, but yeah. I think if you want to read good stuff, then you're going to go for... Peer-reviewed. Peer-reviewed. Yeah, I, I mean, journals are divided into quality bands so there's q1 which is the best and there's q4 and goes to q7 and you you, you don't want to read a q7 journal i think unless okay. you just need a reference for something um okay um which is actually how i end up reading most of, deciding how valid or not a lot of papers are. i was actually looking yeah, at and, what and i understand why because if you stuff. don't have access to a library or you don't have access to a university that you can download real stuff from it's difficult to get access to those Q1 because they're expensive. If you want to download one, it's $30 or something. Okay, so we've had another issue now. It might not be very useful to anyone but the person doing it. It might be only for publication. And it's behind a wall. And it's not accessible to to actual on-the-ground practitioners anyway. Yeah. So the story of (coughs) the story of that guy who committed suicide in jail, the hacker. um, Ah, yes. Uh, I wish I could remember his name. Aaron... Yeah, so he he was trying to allow for open access to, to all these journal to articles. To JSTOR, JSTOR, right? JSTOR, right. Yeah. Um, and that was his big fight, that, yeah. that he wanted all this academic knowledge opened up. Yeah. Um, Which, uh, look, okay, the, the cause and effect aside, all he was saying was, oh, come on, all this stuff is here. Why can't we read it? Exactly. And the only people who can read it are other people who are writing that stuff and have to buy and, into and I their... And I have to agree with him because yeah? academics in a university are the people who are least likely to go into a classroom and... Do um, anything with do the anything knowledge with that they've got. Um, okay. That is a little bit of a gripe that I do have. I, I absolutely agree with it. <laughs> in actual fact, I know, of all the doctors that I know... Um, a very, None very small teach. percentage of them are actually in the field. All of them are, are hiding in a university somewhere um, yeah. writing. And the only time, <laughs> the only students they see are students who are coming and saying, how do I write my research paper better? <laughs> and so, yeah. Okay, so, um, I, look, I, I've always kind of had this opinion that most research is kind of useless. 
um, and that most of it is written for bad reasons. But obviously I'm a hypocrite because I've done some research, um, I also in the, the more formal sense, but in the, the informal action research sense a lot, in the formal sense a little, and I've enjoyed it. And I found it very useful to me, myself, and I. Actually, it's not just you that one of your research, one of the publications that you have on um, blended learning has oh, that, actually yeah, caused, that yeah, that's caused quite a stir. Uh, that yeah. was retold almost verbatim by another researcher in a conference. Um, yeah. So that, that, uh, the findings from that were actually quite useful, not only to you, but... but to okay, so that's, um, that's actually a good example of something that started out as action research and then became a, a published research later. So in the beginning, it was simply somebody coming in and saying, hey, do you think this would work? And over 10 hours of discussion, I worked out a, a, a format that theoretically would work and that would be useful. And I went away and I did it, and I did it, and it was not that great, and I was done. It was actually only, well, whatever, a couple of months later that you came to me and said, hey, do you have records of that stuff that you did? Should it make a good paper? Yeah. And, and then it became a paper. I think your, your comment that research is useless, I think to, to take that seriously, I would like to propose three possible solutions for <coughs> a teacher who might think that's that's the case? Okay. Um, one is to to try and get access and uh, yeah to try and get access to a particular journal that's in the field. So let's say a classroom teacher. Yeah. Um, try and get access to a journal like Modern Language Teacher or ELT Journal, ELTJ. Uh, those are really practical. There's lots of research about stuff like pronunciation and and teaching reading. Yes, they're perhaps not easy to get access to, but there's always a university with a with a language department somewhere, and those are really common journals. And um, and just choosing that one journal, like for example, us, I would say get get hold of the teacher trainer journal okay. that comes out once every three months, and just ignore the other stuff. And from that, there'll be references to other things which you can follow up if you want to. Um, that that would be one possibility. Okay, and uh, in this scenario where obviously we're positing the, the scenario where this teacher is very proactive and they know that this stuff exists, so they obviously have people around them that go, yeah. okay? And, and by doing that, it, they will actually come across research that might inform their teaching practice. Okay. Um, a second option is to... to Get a question and to just go to Google, Google Scholar. <laughs> Google Scholar, yeah. <laughs> and, and because there are some that are freely available. Yes, sir. And click on them and read it and take it fairly lightheartedly because it might be one of the Zimbabwean Journal of... Journal of um, Western something. But, but in, the, in the introduction to the, to the actual research, there's usually some really useful, interesting background to the question or uh, more importantly and uh, some of those I look at them and go whatever but often uh, in the in somewhere in the beginning or towards the end I'll often find a very interesting reference and it's, yes, it's, I, I end up actually not taking anything from the paper but I take something from the paper that they've taken something from that I then find that one and go ooh yeah, yeah it often works that way um, which is a bit long-winded and it does take more Google gollering yeah 
but uh, but but it is yeah. one way of doing it. And the third way, I suppose, is to to find the summaries of the research because there are magazines that summarize. Yeah, um, and in fact, uh, that is one thing that not very well, but is available online. Is they generally uh, at least an intro to the abstract, or it's a very dense paper. The the thing that I've found quite useful when I haven't had access to the actual paper is to find people who've reported on the research. So if okay. you have a look at websites like Psychology Today, for example, I came across a really interesting summary of the research that's been done on confirmation bias. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And um, those kind of magazine bloggy websites usually give a nice, simple outline of the, the, the problem, uh, the research that's gone around it, and then you can take it away and, and do with it as you wish. Um, Okay, now this uh, this is a good example that you've, you've randomly brought up, which is something like that, confirmation bias. I find it endlessly interesting and curious, and I like to read things about it, and then I find other things that are about the things, and etc., etc. But it, that's a very, very personal thing. And sure, I use it in teacher training, but it's more as a... So just to inform you that this thing exists, rather than a what do you do with this information... And that's fine. It's not nothing, uh, but it's also not something. Yeah, I, I think that confirmation bias would be interesting to anybody who knows about it or has read a little bit about it because uh, the, the idea is once you've got an, a belief or a, an opinion yeah. on something, that keeps getting fulfilled. And a teacher would be very interested in that because if you believe that a particular te- student is difficult, well, then that... that you notice is... every time that they do something difficult. <laughs> um, but to the... Uh, point that you made was that would be interesting to them interesting and useful are not the same thing yeah. interesting and uh, well I mean the question about what's useful is, is so hard because what's useful today might not be useful tomorrow I think it's much better to focus on what's interesting because and if it I, is interesting obviously I do too we're having this discussion <laughs> <laughs> um, what is useful uh, yeah I, I would go for what's interesting in my reading, anyway, I go for what's interesting. Okay. Um, now I, I do too. I'm, I'm very much into the interests thing. And I do sometimes use the... I'm interested in these things, so I've read about these things, and something comes up and I can turn to a teacher and say, well, it actually didn't work because... And then it's not, a, a, it's not just my opinion. I'm not saying, well, I don't think it worked because... I can say, um, well, I hate, I hate this statement, but it's... It is true and it does work. Well, research has shown that, which is a terrible <laughs> statement. But I... I can, See, it, reading it's, research is really useful, you should... <laughs> in that case, it is. Yeah. It's an easy way of saying, I'm not telling you what I, what I think. I'm telling you what we know or what research indicates uh, instead of, in my opinion. Just, just back to the original question about whether teachers should be reading research or not. I mean, obviously, I believe that that we all should be reading research. Yeah. And even if it doesn't inform our practice, we should be aware of what the researchers are about. Because some researchers are actually trying to do us some, some, good, some, some good. good. Yeah. yeah. The, the problem is that if you, don't know, if you don't know a lot about statistics and you don't know a lot about research methodologies... It's very it's, easy to be it, misled. Yeah, it's, it becomes very opaque. And so um, when, when I come across a paper that's very dense in terms of statistics and I can't follow it, I read the discussion and I read the introduction. I'll see what argument the has has led the researcher to this question and what they think they've found. And I go, yeah, whatever. Yeah, or, that's pretty okay, much the way I go. I, 
the abstract, the at the beginning to see if I'm actually interested in any way, the discussion at the end to see if they got anything useful, then they, I go, wait, how do they figure that part out? And yeah, then I look at their research methodology. And sometimes I've actually given up before then because I'm just, this is terribly written and I can't get anything out of this. Um, other times I get quite lucky where I am interested in it, but it's really dense. And instead I can find people that have quoted that paper so I'm interested in the paper, and I find other people who've referenced the paper mm. and what sections they've referenced. And that, I've found, is a very good way in to the very dense... Not dense topic, densely written topics, mm. is, is finding other people... Do you, is, early on you said it's badly written. Is, is your definition of badly written that it's dense? Uh, it's dense. Uh, also, one of my, I mean, one of the things that just, I just go, <laughs> whatever, and, and chuck it on a pile somewhere is the, um, hang on a second, your research didn't say anything about that. There's nothing in your research to to prove your conclusion that you've made up in your well, discussion. You, you should be a peer reviewer then and pass these things back to them so that they can fix it up. But no, it's been peer reviewed and published. It no, must not be good. All. And not all. I mean, <clears throat> the, prob- the problem that we have now is that there are lots of journals that are yes. paid to publish and they're not peer reviewed. They claim to be peer reviewed, but they're not. And that means that they're, they're not getting that kind of feedback. And that's not good for the researcher because the researchers need to know they've missed this important point. Yeah. Mm. Okay, now I want to... I've actually had... Um, having this discussion now because of something that's happened to me this week. So, um, a while ago, and uh, if your memory's working great, this is going to be a real test, uh, you you dropped a paper on the, the desk at the office and I picked it up because I went past and it was... Um, uh, something about uh, not just games or more than games, and it oh, was yeah. a guy who looked at a lot of what a lot of students think of as games, mm. and he'd made a little uh, matrix where he'd analyze them in terms of what value they 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 have for the students and what language areas they focus on, yeah. and I can't remember exactly how he did his table, but it was essentially something like you take Hangman. Okay, it could possibly focus on uh, grammar, spelling, pronunciation, uh, collocation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, in an active or in a passive way, either the students actively have to come yeah. up with the grammar, the spelling, the, or in a passive way, they have to recognize it and notice it. And he put in something like hangman and went, well, that's passive spelling and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, it's not the meaning, it's not the pronunciation, it's not the yada yada. And then he picked another random game and went, well, this one does two different things. Mm. And I found that fascinating. And it's, for me, it's been incredibly useful. When, uh, when a warmer, when I see somebody doing a warmer or a wrap-up or something like that, and they're doing it as a game... I can normally quite easily say to them, not just... Look, sometimes it's it's about communicative language teaching where I can say that was very teacher-centred. Um, or there was a lot of wait time. The participation was very low. It was one student at a time and the others were completely passive. But other times I can give a much more qualitative answer and help them analyse it and show them that it it was fine and the students enjoyed it. But what aspect of their English did it help improve? Oh, well, it just did. But you see, as a teacher area. trainer, it's useful for you. I think a teacher as reading... As a teacher, I, 
Why is yeah, that? A teacher reading that would... Um, there's two or three things that a teacher could take away from a paper like that. One is, my games are not just games. They're linguistic... Which, is, which was his point in the paper. Yeah. yeah. There's linguistic value in some games and some... Not have so more than others and they have different aspects that yeah, they can and focus in a, on and a teacher is working in a school that's discouraging game playing that's that's a fairly useful confirmation of their yeah if their preference for games absolutely the and, and for the students enjoyment of them for right. that matter um, the teacher might look at that and go okay well you know I've been playing games without thinking of of the uh, analysing the, the value of the games let me have a look at three of the games that I play and decide and see yeah, yeah. yeah. so a teacher reading that may be able to extrapolate quite a lot of useful stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was very well written, too. It, it was, was nice. It was an easy read. Yeah. Uh, it was very approachable. It was Actually, very practical and simple. On, on that point... I Can you remember I, who that was? I can't. We really should find that out and tack that on the end. Um, the, uh, I find, I've just thought of a fourth way for teachers to get access to research. Okay. Um, and that's through conferences. A lot of, a lot of the... In, in England, they have something called the IATEFL conference yeah. once a year where there are some pretty big names and really interesting topics come up. And and they have six or seven different topics going on at the same time, so you have to choose which one interests you. Yeah, uh, so in, in one room there, there's, there's a random person from the University of Southern Shanghai presenting how they use popsicle sticks. Um, but at the same time, there might be... Jaxie Richards in a, in another room. Yeah, talking uh, about the value of pragmatics in discourse. In, and in actual fact, a teacher looks at that and goes, okay, well, Jaxie Richards is pretty cool, but I'm so interested in popsicle sticks. Because, I, I, yeah, because I, I actually I'm low on resources that. and... Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Shanghai dude, okay, well, I don't know who he is, but let me go and see what he's yeah. about. Um, and uh, most conferences do have a screening process, so you're not going to have... Um, yeah. Most yeah. often. And in, for example, in Thai TESOL conference in Thailand, they'll actually say to you which are the conferences that are being presented by students, yeah. by master students, or so that you know that that's a delivery of their research rather than an actual practical. Um, yeah. Okay, um, the conference thing is great, and uh, I've been to, I don't know, half a dozen, but half a dozen in 20 years is not a lot, really. Okay, it's probably more yeah. than half a dozen. But I, still. I, I have to admit that I've just said, you should, you should go to conferences, but when I go to conferences, I'm really bored. <laughs> I end up going to one and going, well, that was a waste of time. And then I go to the the big plenary where we have a special guest star super person and go, did they even prepare for that? <laughs> and then I go to random random guy and sometimes and it's not great. random guy, yeah, but yeah. it often is. It's just where I, they've got a topic that I... Yeah. That seems interesting, and I show up and go... But bear in mind, wow. a random guy for you might not be the random guy for... Of course, for, yeah. I mean, he might be the lead lecturer at, at the University of Macau, and he's yeah. really famous in Macau for all the work he's done there, you know. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you don't know his name might not necessarily mean anything. By, by random guy, I mean, I, I, I haven't chosen them for their name oh. I, or for the fact that they're the special guest superstar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I've chosen by topic right. not, or content or style or whatever. Okay, um, the other thing that happened to me this week uh, was you dropped a paper, we dropped a half a dozen papers on the desk a couple of weeks ago, and they were just sitting there, and I picked them up on my lunch break and, and I browsed through them. And one of them, uh, obviously this is very specific, but to me, it was a paper on uh, the attitudes or appreciation, I don't know how to phrase it, of native and non-native speakers who do teacher training courses 
and a lot of the research uh, was just like, yeah, really, really, I'm so shocked that native speakers are often inexperienced and non-native speakers are often experienced. He's like, I, I know. Yes. And not interesting at all. Mm. But um, the part of the paper that I that did interest me was, uh, it wasn't well-researched, but... Uh, how they reacted to what they found useful, interesting, engaging for their needs, etc. And the conclusion was really obvious, and it's something that I know already. Non-native speakers are often better at the fundamentals, the mechanics of the language, and native speakers are not. And when you're doing something like language awareness, teaching language awareness, you've got incredibly different strengths in the classroom. All the non-native speakers know what uh, the modal auxiliary verb is. None of the all the native speakers you say that and they just go immediately. Uh, but if you ask them, should it be a, um, a a red Italian Ferrari or an Italian red Ferrari, they'll answer immediately. And then you ask them why, and they start thinking about it. And go, wait, I don't know now. Should it be? Oh no. Okay, this is obvious. To me, this is obvious that we have different strengths. I read it on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and then the following week I said to you, oh, I, I can't do that day. Can I switch days with you? And I'll do the day on grammar, mm. um, which part of the grammar day is language awareness, the mm. first part of it. And I went in on Saturday, actually on a Friday, I went, oh, I've got this idea. I can do something with a difference between the two. And I went in to work on Saturday and completely forgot about it. And then on Sunday night I remembered again, and I went in an hour early to the office and I made two separate activities um, the one activity seems very simple for language teachers is here's a bunch of sentences and um, put them in this grid layout in a table to represent what tense they are which are perfect which are continuous which are past etc and I gave that only to the natives to the non-natives instead I had them write 12 sentences, one to represent each of the main tenses, and then I gave them little just pictograms of timelines, and I said, use your sentences and match them up to these timelines. And I went a step further, I separated the native speakers into um, people who had a recent university education and had studied something to do with languages or an art subject, and the people who hadn't had any of that background, had completely different. Three groups in the room, uh, two different activities. After 20 minutes, the group that were more recent university graduates with an arts background had finished my activity. There was a native speakers, and I pushed them over to the non-native group, got them to join together. I'd let the native speakers without any arts background work on the task at their own pace. It was a nightmare. Running three different activities in three different groups and trying to match up the timing all at the same time was a headache. I definitely think they all got a lot more out of it. Everyone got to work at their own pace. Uh, I, had, I did have to work a bit harder to make it work. I picked the paper up and read it on a Wednesday or a Thursday and I put it into use on a Monday. So there you go. Reading research works. Yeah. And on that bombshell... <laughs> on that bombshell, I love contradicting myself. <laughs> All right, thanks for that, guys. Tofo Rafa is 
Secretly brought to you by the non-stop Wolfler, Troy and Steve for any question, comment, com complaint or queries you can email tofurofur at gmail.com or visit www.tofur.com